Thank you guys. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be here again. You know, it's been a little while. Uh, those of you that know Robin and I from over the years, you probably know that uh, we'd been wanting to have kids for a long time and hadn't been able to, <clears throat> and been trying to adopt. We had a, a couple opportunities fall through. And uh, as you probably know, we suddenly did adopt a little boy named Jaden. So that's changed our life. We got him when he was uh, about 12 hours old. <laughs> we, we had about two hours notice to come get him. We didn't even have a car seat. So it was quite a, quite a shock. And it worked out perfect. And it was like God hand-selected the perfect little baby uh, for us to raise and be his parents. And it was a neat situation where it was the best scenario for the mom best scenario for the baby and the best scenario for us. So it was a win-win all the way around and very positive. So uh, yeah, I was real blessed. I'll show you a picture in a minute here. Sorry, I'm kind of ringing on you um, after we get going. But yeah, they'll be here between services. Uh, Robin and Jaden are hoping to catch you guys on your way out between the next service. So stop and say hi if you want. Also wanted to mention these before I dive into stuff this morning. Um, two books that I've written late, uh, of late. The first one you probably saw last time I was here is called Faith and Five Dollars. I recommend this if you really want to uh, get a glimpse into a little bit of my history, kind of the story that shaped a lot of what I do in missions now and hearing God and radical obedience. <clears throat> this is all about five dollars, six countries, and four months and a one-way ticket to southern Russia and just the miracle of that trip and what God did through that. Great if you're trusting God for finances. And then the latest book I wrote is called Outreach Matters, and it's the top 17 principles for successful missions or local outreach. And I hear you guys have been doing a lot in the community, which is really encouraging, and the principles tend to apply across the board. Uh, Pastor Joshua started reading this last night. We were chatting a little bit about it. And uh, if you really want to not make the same mistakes many have had, including myself, I found that these 17 principles were the same almost across the board for the hundreds of teams that I sent. So I extracted the top 17 things and taught into those based on real life stories. It's very supernatural. If you like, as my pastor wrote on the endorsement on the front, he said, if you love spiritual adventure, you're gonna love this book. So hopefully that will help you be more effective in your local community effort. Um, wow, lots to cover, lots to update you guys on. Been gone a while, I'd hope to make it back Last year, we try to come out at least once a year and share, but as many of you know, I had brain surgery about 15 months ago, or 14 months ago, something like that, and uh, it set me back, as you could imagine, and by God's grace, I'm recovering, no complaints, it's the mercy of God, there's a whole story in that, and if I get far enough through this talk, I'm going to tell you some crazy uh, stuff related to this story uh, with the brain surgery and the uh, supernatural element of what was going on in this. Uh, really believe that, you know, we live in a we live in a war, and we don't always see it going on. And things are. <laughs> uh, that I work in communist countries, so I, I pull out communist adages sometimes from the old days. <laughs> One of the things in the communist manifesto is they talk about uh, everything is political. So there's nothing that's not important politically. And thought about politically, well, as a Christian, everything is spiritual. And there's nothing that's not spiritual. And so I, I always pull that into my mind. I'm like, right, they understand it from a natural sense that everything is connected and, and relevant. Well, as a Christian, everything is spiritual and everything is relevant. <clears throat> and the organization that I head up called CEO Global, uh, 
for those of you that don't know, because I haven't been here in a while, I don't know some of y'all, uh, is an organization that started out in China with the invitation to raise up their next generation of leaders from among the best university students in the country, and to do that by developing servant leaders of integrity. So that, we got started on almost 12 years ago now. It was my 11th summer in China running our kind of premier leadership development uh, programs, and I was tired. It was a lot of work. I look back, it was 10 years of pioneering this effort, but now what we're seeing uh, is some incredible developments. We have 90,000 alumni now from the programs in primarily Asia over the last 12 to 13 years. And uh, we're running about um, two to three, 4,000 college students internationally per year through the program. Uh, and it's just incredible what God is doing through the, through the effort of, these are not career missionaries. The idea of missions is really changing, you guys, in this global era. And I'm, I have a million things I could talk to you about with this, but the, the modern missionary and the way you operate in, in these countries uh, doesn't look a lot like it did when I first got started in full-time mission work. I did very traditional mission work. I was, we were talking about street evangelism, you know, and all the stuff I used to do in the former Soviet Union in the early days, and it was a great season. <clears throat> and some days we'd see over 1,000 people come to the Lord. It was incredible. But things shift and change. There's different Cairo seasons. And the way I see emerging now is the only way to really sustainably engage uh, in these countries as things are getting tighter, more closed, but there's also a greater human need that no one can respond to. And one of those things is uh, the modern missionary a lot of times looks like a full-time business guy who works at a bank, who takes part of his time and part of his professional time, treasure, and talent to reach out to, to students or to mentor other people. It's very uh, different looking person, you might say. And we involve thousands, globally, thousands of volunteers that get involved. And some short-term mission trips get involved, but primarily all the people that work with the programs are career professionals who take time out of what they do every day to invest in other people in their community, to invest cross-culturally. Um, and we're all in the business of adding value and meeting needs. You guys are meeting needs in your community. I've heard incredible testimonies about what's going on. Uh, and that's really the heart of CEO Global is that we meet felt needs and bring people to the, we say if people fall in love with the kingdom, they want to meet the king. And so we bring the kingdom to their doorstep, so to speak. And then they want to meet the king. And that's really what's been incredible to see happen. And it also changes the paradigm about uh, the role. I mean, how many, how many of you could imagine that a no, I mean, we as known Christians running a values-based kind of neutral organization will be invited to work in the top 100 universities in China. That just doesn't happen unless the Lord's trying to prove a point. And so there's a whole different approach to these uh, kind of new opportunities and where there are things that seem negative or resistance, uh, there's also an opportunity that opens up that just looks a little different. And one of our challenges in the modern outreach mission world and effort, our kingdom efforts, is to not try to jam a round peg through a square hole. So we got to be willing to look at things a little different and try to look at how do we make a difference? How do we influence? And how do we actually see the kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I think it looks a little different, but I think it's an exciting season. So what I want to talk about today is uh, it's going to get practical. Okay, this is actually... My talk is an extraction or an adaptation 
of one of the key topics we teach in the Way to Success course with these university students. Where this is like a faith-based mirror of what we would teach in a values-based way in the university system. We're going to talk about managing your influence and servant leadership. And it is, uh, you can see how, how close we come to the edge of uh, when we talk with these students. We have a, a built-out program of a number of topics and modules that function, are designed to function in a biblical model where you start with internal transformation, move to external uh, influence in your sphere of society. And so beginning with the heart and then working outwards, and the idea of line upon line, precept upon precept, the topics build towards an outcome in these students' lives where they are literally living and thinking like Jesus, even though they don't know him yet. And then when they, when they get a glimpse through their, the people involved in their lives, the mentors, uh, our staff, different ones in the programs, they get a glimpse of that's the author of everything I want. That's where they meet Jesus, through those relationships. Very natural, very organic. And because of this kind of an approach where many Christian organizations, because we don't consider ourselves like a traditional Christian like student organization, where many Christian organizations are being forced out of opportunity on campus, we're actually being invited in to share in places that you would never get in as a Christian. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with academic circles, but there's an organization called the American Education Research Association. It's a very influential, massive education organization. Uh, we've been invited through some of our alumni now who are in leadership in this organization to come in and present and to do uh, breakout sessions and examples of how we teach students and develop students in their annual conference in New York next year. It's like a 25,000 person conference uh, with 100 world leaders uh, looking for public education solutions. And so uh, just that kind of, you, you want to be invited. If you can get invited, then you're meeting people's needs if they actually want you there. <laughs> if you have to like knock on the door and kick down the door, they don't necessarily want you there. And so I think that there, it isn't that Christianity is becoming irrelevant, even in the education circles, it's how you're approaching it and how you're meeting people's felt needs, nation's felt needs, and the kind of access and favor you're gaining through that. So I know you guys are moving into a lot of areas of influence, and I want to give you a glimpse of what we do with this video we have queued up. This is our little short uh, program video that introduces the Way to Success program, uh, which we're now expanding uh, internationally and in U.S. universities. And uh, we do a very similar version in today's high-paced, complicated, and highly globalized employment market. Do you ever wonder if your education is truly training you for long-term success? The Way to Success, or TWTS, is a premier cross-cultural leadership certificate program that develops servant leaders of integrity. This program exposes students to values and training that can lead to higher levels of employability and holistic success. TWTS prepares university students with the necessary soft skills and leadership training that quality employers are looking for in job candidates. TWTS provides an interactive, positive, and engaging learning environment. A highlight of the program is the local business professionals who participate in the program as mentors. These qualified guest speakers and mentors present course materials from a real-life perspective and help guide students through their learning experience. Students benefit greatly from the wisdom and life experience that mentors have to offer. When students complete the TWTS program and earn a certificate in leadership and global engagement, they are positioned to consistently do the right thing and do it well. 
develop a positive self-image and an optimistic outlook on life. Be well-equipped with successful values and soft skills. Add value to their communities and those they influence. Be equipped to manage adversity. And become highly employable servant leaders of integrity. Join TWTS at your local campus or volunteer to help start a new program. To take the next step on the way to success, contact us at info at ceoglobalusa.org or visit us at ceoglobalusa.org. So that's a little glimpse into the way to success program and intentionally meeting needs. What, what's the biggest need with students? They want a job. <laughs> and so if you can help them get a job and get ahead in, in, in um, being qualified to get hired, they want to hear what you have to say. So I'm going to share a little bit of the core idea. Oh, it does want that uh, access code, Jason. <laughs> Sorry. We, we have a uh, technical hilarity when I'm here with equipment. Five is the first number. Zero, one, okay, one, nine, zero, all right. We will get this. This is, this is a pretty cool little deal. All right. There's Jaden and Robin. So those of you that haven't seen him, that's Jaden. Um, he's even bigger now. He's like five months old, and he's already outgrowing his 18-month clothing. So uh, one of our pastors at our church in uh, Fayetteville in northwest Arkansas who's African-American, he's like, yeah, be careful. They start handing out scholarships early at the U of A, trying to recruit. <laughs> so he's like, don't let them scout him yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's, he loves sports and activity stuff. He's already watching football with me, which is hilarious on TV. But, uh, yeah, he's a sweetheart, just a sweet little guy. Hope you get to meet him. And, uh, yeah, we've been really blessed to be parents. So keep an eye out for Robin and Jaden when they get here. Okay, so we want to talk today quickly because we don't have a lot of time. But I want to talk about managing your influence and leadership. Um, okay, just an honest question or honest comment. Christians are not used to having influence, okay? They're generally in, in, in the community. It's not where you don't normally have a lot of influence. You don't have a lot of impact. You don't really ever think about, man, how am I going to manage or lead in this sphere of influence where people are really looking up to me or depending on me or... I'm responsible to these people. We're used to being pretty marginalized. Now, I think that's changing. I see it changing in you guys' community here. Our church in Northwest Arkansas is a phenomenal model. Uh, one of the things that drew us there was their incredible engagement in the community uh, where, yeah, they, they, uh, we meet in the gym at the Boys and Girls Club rather than build our own church building so that we can empower the, the Boys and Girls Club to be more effective. We actually built a like a three or four million dollar extension onto the boys and girls club rather than build our own church so that we could extend the capacity to work with the minority kids and the disadvantaged kids in the region um, and partnered with the city to do that um, and I mean it's just been incredible to the point now where the church has grown uh, we're kind of the charismatic outpost out there it's kind of like the only church that's um, you know kind of culturally similar to you guys and others uh, in this vein but uh, we've grown to a point where we needed a huge kind of administrative building with some conference rooms and offices and stuff, and we end up being essentially businessmen in the community offered it to us at half market rate just because of the impact in the community that we'd been having. They want to see that succeed just without even being asked. They just came back and like said, we'll actually take half of what you think you're supposed to pay. 
stuff like that. That's when you're beginning to have influence in the community. I mean, there, I can't get into all the social elements that we're helping the city with and the government. It's been phenomenal. And I think you guys, like, I was loving the testimonies you were reading about the local condition of the economy and things happening in the area. Um, it's true. It, it's supernatural. It's not just a natural phenomena, and it takes believers being involved. So we're going to talk about leadership, because if you suddenly find yourself in a position of influence or leadership, what do you do and what do you don't do? So we're going to get a little, we're going to get heavy on some scripture. We're going to talk about some serious implications of leadership and influence and whether the, the doing it right and doing it wrong, uh, because everything rises and falls on leadership, as John Maxwell says. And uh, this is one of the biggest felt needs globally is people to understand leadership and responsibility. So John Maxwell has a great quote, to lead others, first lead yourself. So it's all at first about self-government, self-leadership, self-control, and focusing on getting it right internally, and then moving outside. Because everyone has a, met a metron. So everyone has what Apostle Paul, uh, in the original language, calls a metron, or a sphere of influence. We'll look at that scripture in a second. But everyone is responsible for someone. Everyone influences someone. Even if it's only yourself, you're still in charge of leading you. You're designed to influence. You're designed to lead. You're designed to be in charge and influence your metron. Now, for a lot of people, your metron might be just your, uh, maybe you're a single parent and you have one child. That's your metron, what God's given you to uh, steward and to be uh, exercising leadership in and responsibility. Some people are running governments, and it's just a different level, a different metron. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure or the sphere, which is the word metron, which got apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. So everyone has a measure, and that's what you're responsible for. And Paul's saying, I don't go beyond my sphere, my metron. So Getting this idea of, okay, how do we manage our metron? How do we manage our influence? <clears throat> you as a church, a church community, God might be broadening your metron, giving you new areas of responsibility, both personally and as a corporate organization, an entity here in the region. So let's talk about servant leadership. Okay, there are two leadership systems. This is basically what it boils down to. There's a kingdom system and a world system. One is built on persuasion. One is built on coercion. Now, the traditional, even in North America, idea of traditional leadership models is very much a world system build. It's built on coercion. Um, persuasion and influence is the biblical model. This is the kingdom model, or what we call the kingdom systems. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. We don't try to control others. We try to persuade others. So it's all about influence. If you don't have influence, you can't persuade anybody to do anything. So you've got to be able to manage your influence. And that influence is a God-given thing. He gives you your metron. He extends that sphere. He gives you success based on how you live out his principles, how you walk in his ways, how you listen to him and obey. That's why we call our program The Way to Success. To Christian audiences, we would call it His Way to Success. So there is a way to success, and you got to learn how to manage it. So the kingdom system, persuasion, influencing people to do what they need to do by getting them to want to do what they ought to do. It's a little poem for you to remember if you can pull that together. So that's how influence works in leadership. The world system or coercion, getting people to comply through fear and manipulation, forcing people to do what they should want to do. 
Now, I, as a longtime team leader, longtime organizational leader, I'm faced with these kind of decisions all the time. <clears throat> do I influence or do I force? If I have to force, I'm not influencing. And so if I'm not influencing, then there's a, I'm not able to persuade. And if I'm not able to persuade, I don't really have a message. I'm not walking in authority, <clears throat> which is our design. So these two leadership systems, the kingdom system in Matthew 19 is illustrated when Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So he's influencing, he's calling, he's persuading, saying, come and follow me. The world system, coercion, the command and control leadership model, as it used to be called, says if you don't influence and persuade, you have to control. So your only lever to get performance, essentially, is control mechanisms. Uh, and we're going to look at why that is not biblical and why it's, it's literally like many other things in the world system, is, is a spirit of death, actually, destroys. So influence, it's the only tool for leadership that Jesus modeled while he was on earth, was influence and persuasion. He didn't force anybody to do anything. He still doesn't. So the culture of the kingdom, servant leadership, coercive leadership. You got this choice. Matthew 20, but Jesus called them to himself and said, Okay, describing the world system, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. Then he goes to the kingdom system. It is not this way among you. So he's comparing and contrasting. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A lot of good things in this scripture, but what I want to highlight is this comparison that there's a kingdom way and a world way that is illustrated by Jesus, coercive or servant. So which system requires stronger leaders? This is an interesting point. Persuasion or coercion? So the kingdom system, servant leadership, succeeds by sharing power, putting the needs of others first, and helping people develop and perform as highly as possible. So it's all about adding value. Servant leaders are able to support and champion those they are responsible for. That's why the servant leadership pyramid shows the person on the bottom holding up things, holding other people up and making them successful. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to, them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Now... A lot, I get a lot of pushback because in our, in our program, like in our University of Arkansas <clears throat> program, we're in the executive education department at the U of A in the business school and partnering with them. And uh, so we have a lot of internationals, about 15 to 20 international backgrounds, like different countries per, per course or per program usually. And a lot of those students, it is so foreign in their mind to think about the idea of doing anything for anybody, but much less as a leader. And so they'll, they'll say, well, that's a weak form of leadership. That's a weak example that you won't get anything done. So we have to completely do a cultural reframe for them in this teaching and get them to understand that servant leadership requires far more strength in a leader than does coercive or command and control leadership. Let's look at why. Here's the other model. <laughs> so the coercive system or the world system 
leaders have to stand on the backs of others to reach their goals. They're generally not able to or they don't care to raise the water level for other people or everyone. They generally see others as stepping stones or means to an end. So the weaker leader is the one that stands on top of everybody else to get where they're at. The servant leader holds everybody up and they all, you get where you're going. The way to success is by getting the success of others around you, ensuring the success of others around you. It's a complete reframe because what does Jesus, what does the Bible say about Jesus? He upholds all things. All things hold together. Like he's got the, the model, the Jesus model is that he's holding everything up. He's holding everything together. And that's our example, not the world's example where you crush people, you climb on people, you coerce people to get where you're going. Because Jesus doesn't point out anything wrong with wanting to be great or wanting to be successful. He just talks about how do you get there. In that previous scripture, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom or whatever, then you got to be the servant. He's not saying you got to be weak. He's like, you got to be incredibly strong. <laughs> this is a tough road if you want to be great in the kingdom. So this is why managing your influence really matters. Here's a wall of scripture. Let's look at a couple of key ideas here. Philippians 2, verse 3 through 9. How do you succeed in the kingdom? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, made, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. So again, you see that success, Jesus' success was founded on the rest of the scripture here of how he humbled himself. So again, God's not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with even being exalted or being successful or achieving things. And this is one of the things we have to be careful of as Christians. We tend to demonize or minimize people's built-in desire to want to succeed. To want to be great. I mean, especially, let me just talk to the guys for a second. How many guys, you know, set, you have this kind of in, inbuilt thing in you that you just want to make something. You want to build something. You want it to be awesome. You don't want to build a piece of junk. You're not really happy when it doesn't work out, right? If the thing you're, like, you're wired to succeed. And I know women are as well. I work with a lot of high-achieving young ladies that we're training in our courses and lead in our organization. Our organization's led by a high-achieving woman. Um, but it's about how you get there and how you manage that influence. And so when you go to influence non-believers, I'll just talk about non-believing students, you have to leverage what matters to them. You don't come at them and say, well, you know, being rich is a terrible thing. You're going to oppress the poor. And, you know, I, all these international students are like, I was poor. I want to be wealthy. I'm trying to help my family. I want to succeed. Their highest value is they've spent eight years in education trying to get a great job. So you can't come in and just pull the rug out from under and say, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you, you know, you, all this stuff is wrong. You can't be good. You can't be great. You can't be the president of the bank. You want to be a whatever. You got to say, okay, how do you get there? And what are the values involved in that so that it's good for everybody? And don't denigrate success, but teach them the way to success. So once you help them get there, I, get, I still get emails to this day from former students who are like, I can't thank you enough. For what I learned in the Way to Success program, I got my dream job. I'm working this position that I never would have got without this on my resume. Thanks for taking the time, investing in us. 
And uh, a lot of these students, they're not yet Christians, but they've been, we call them pre-Christians. They're on that trajectory. And they recognize that the author of their success and the author of these values comes from the Bible. They get that. About halfway through the program, they realize, oh, my mentors are all Christians. All my speakers are Christians. Uh, you know, this obviously is a Christian view. Um, I had, oh, I ran out of time, so many stories. I had, I had the, the children, the, these two kids that started our program at the U of A, they were our student chapter leaders, Vietnamese young guys. They were uh, um, grad students. And after they graduated, uh, got their jobs, left the program, they, they wanted to come and have a quick lunch with me and talk to me and just say, hey, you don't know this, but they said, our dads are the two generals in charge of the military in Vietnam. And we've been friends since we were kids. They said, you don't know who you're impacting. They said, we went to school six years in the U.S., got nothing of any benefit that, that could help our country when we go home. Uh, they said, this is the only thing that gave me any framework to impact my nation when I get home. And they weren't even Christians. And they said, the only reason you would do this is because you're Christians. I mean, they're like, that's the only people that care. And so they got it. I mean, they, and they wanted to just have lunch to tell me that and thank me. And I still get emails from those guys every once in a while. Um, it's not your job to clunk them and dunk them. It's your job to get them to the door. Maybe the evangelism is a process. And a lot of this process, can, you can find yourself somewhere on this spectrum. So in our course, we're, we may be here with a student where they're way at the bottom. And you move them up the meter halfway towards the kingdom, you're doing effective evangelism. It's not results-oriented where you've got to get them, you know, signing up for membership in your church to consider it a success. So what leadership culture do I have? Let's do a quick self-assessment. We're going to run through some quick comparisons because you need to evaluate yourself. This isn't about other people. This is about you. What, how do I lead? What kind of an influencer am I? Okay, I don't know if you can see this very well. Uh, I will read them out because you probably can't. They compare across uh, one side uh, left to right under the different kingdoms here, coercive or servant. Objective is to be served or objective is to serve others. Entitlement of the position is more important than responsibility or responsibilities are more important than the perks of the position. Wants others to listen to them or wants to listen to people before making decisions. We'll come back to this one. <clears throat> Does not train others to function effectively or equips and invests in others with a view to their advancement. Uses intimidation to silence critics, defensive in nature, little self-diagnosis here for a lot of us, or welcomes open discussion on improvement, willing to learn from others. Another one here. Clings to power and position or is willing to step aside for someone more qualified. Little interest in developing competent successors. It's a key indicator for some of us. Leadership development is a high priority in serving others. Easily accessible to only the close lieutenants or those people around you or often seen interacting with others and maintains an open door. You're vulnerable. Creates an atmosphere of dependency using power of position to influence. So a misuse of influence, of power and position, or creates an atmosphere where others see their potential and are empowered. Wins support for ideas through deception, power plays, or manipulation. People respond out of fear or insecurity. How many of us have been through those kind of environments? I have. Wins support for ideas through logic and persuasion. People respond out of respect and the sense of it being right. So very different kingdoms at work here and very different systems. And most of us don't realize there's different systems. 
And if you're going to disciple a nation, if you're going to influence your metron, you're going to see positive things happen in your community, you got to recognize there's two authors going on here. There's the way of the kingdom of God and the way of the world system. And if we find ourselves wandering between those kingdoms, your influence is going to warp your metron. And God will probably limit you. If you ever wonder why do I never get a promotion, why do I, am I always on the bench, why do I never do anything, of, it feels like I'm, you know, I'm missing my calling or whatever, these kind of reflections are helpful. Because you can look back and say, um, you know, am I going to do more damage in this metron if God gives it to me versus actually build it out in the likeness of the kingdom? And so it's good to reflect and say, where am I? Do I need to, how do I align with the kingdom of God? And, you know, don't get upset at God for not giving you more opportunity. <laughs> Colossians 4.1, masters grant to your slaves or employees in the common modern term, justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Or in our terminology, bosses grant to your employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a boss in heaven. And so... You really, you got to be careful of what, influ what influence are you projecting into your Metron. Here's a couple good questions. Would you work for you as you're self-reflecting? Would you want you for a parent? Would you want you for a friend? Again, we're keeping this on ourselves because if you ever wonder why things around you go off the rails, just think about these questions. You're like, why do people not like me? <laughs> why are my kids mad? Why are they hurt? You know, why, why are my employees quitting? This affects everything. So if you're going to do kingdom, you've got to be able to answer these questions positively. And leadership can be ex expensive. This is one of the final things I want to cover in this uh, talk. And I don't mean expensive and you've got to hire somebody. I mean, it can cost you personally. And it can cost nations. And you look at most of the problems that happen around the world because of bad leadership decisions. And people with corrupt natures with a lot of influence and a lot of metron. <laughs> so what's the cost of control? I call this the cost of control. So if you go down the road of the world system, the coercion control system, what's this going to cost you? I found a really excellent example of this in the story of Solomon and his succession with his uh, son taking over for him. It, it just jumped out at me a few months ago. I actually had, I was teaching this even to our own Chinese organization, this whole talk. Because in China, they have such a warped perception of leadership that when you even try to teach leadership in the universities, a lot of the students will reject the word in itself and say, I don't want anything, I'm not a leader. Because if, if you call them a leader, if you say everyone's a leader, they're like, oh, no, I'm not. Because in their mind, they're thinking, I'm not some dictator over here robbing people to get rich. They're like you're insulting them by calling them a leader because you're comparing them to what they're thought of as a leader. And so what they do then is they don't ever influence. They just totally retract and don't ever follow. They don't project anything positive or negative for that matter sometimes. They just get through it. So the cost of control is huge. Let's look at what happened with Solomon's situation. First uh, Kings. Then they sent and called him Jeroboam, and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Okay, it goes on. Some key parts jump out here. 
King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they spoke, the elders said to him, saying, if you will be a servant to this people today and you will serve them and grant them their petition, speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Everybody will win. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. So he said to them, what, do you count, what counsel do you give me that we may answer the people you have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. The young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you shall say to this people who spoke to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, now you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins, whereas my father loaded you with heavy yoke, I will, put, I will add to your yoke. So he goes on to say, basically, the content of this isn't what exactly I'm getting at. It's that he listened to two different sources and he chose a route. One was a servant leadership and one was a coercive, oppressive approach. And he chose which way he was going to manage his metron, his kingdom. Now let's look what happens. This is, this is a lesson for us in any organizational or family. Think of this next section in the context of your family um, and of your company, of your church, whatever it is. It could go the same route. This is the cost. So when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what portion do we have in David? Rejection, experience rejection. We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse, loss of relationship. To, our, to your tents, O Israel, departure. Now look after your own house, David, self-preservation and safety, retraction. So Israel departed to their tents, division and disunity. So you get divorces, you get companies shut down, you get churches folding, you get government infighting, division, disunity. Because of this process of rejecting the advice of, you know, the elders around Solomon, the wisdom of servant leadership. And we see this happen all the time. You could almost follow this like a script on the collapse of great organizations, great mission agencies, great churches, uh, great companies. It all goes this way. People walk. Why do they walk? Why do they walk away from their families? These kind of things. So there's, this stuff matters at every level in every metron because this is the opposite of what you want to see happen. This is warping your metron. You don't want that to happen. You want to put your metron back together and add value and build it out and see the opposite of this stuff happen here. So that's the cost of control. It's a hidden cost. You're not paying for it up front, but man, you'll pay for it in the end. And you know what? This ended up costing the kingdom. This is the ultimate outworking of this is that the kingdom divided, 10 of the tribes disappeared, the entire Israel situation collapsed into the two kingdoms, the division, the whole thing went south and it cost them the kingdom because of this decision. So that's another thing you got to consider is what is it going to cost me if I live like this? And ultimately it may cost you on a small, your metron may be small, but it's still part of the kingdom, and this will cost you the kingdom ultimately. You'll either build the kingdom or lose the kingdom based on this, based on leadership. So managing your metron, a couple of thoughts here as we wrap up. Who owns you? Because metrons are people. God grants you temporary ownership of yourself. You're your own property under submission to God. Who owns others? Same answer. So the kingdom system, it depends on this understanding that you're not allowed to mishandle God's property or the property of others. That's why you don't abuse yourself, you don't abuse other people. They're not, other people are not your property. 
in the kingdom, you're only a steward of God's property, whether it's yourself or others. That's why you don't mistreat yourself. You don't mistreat those that belong to God. You don't mistreat other people. So the fear of God really comes in when you understand who belongs to who here, who's really in charge. You're a steward of your metron. Okay, one scary thought to close with to encourage you. Control and manipulation are not in line with the character and nature of God. That's the, the mechanisms of the coercive world system. And here's why. Control equals manipulation. Manipulation equals witchcraft. Ultimately, if you take away the God-given role of choice in a person's life and decisions, you're essentially using a form of witchcraft to manipulate them for your own ends. This is why you've got to keep things supernatural in how you view stuff. You've got to keep things, understand that everything is spiritual. Your leadership model is spiritual. If you're manipulating people, you're not that far away from using curses. And it gets a, it's a dusty line right there, but you've got to be really careful. How do you know if you're manipulating as a leader? You remove options or genuine choice. You coerce or force people. You withhold or misuse information. You orchestrate outcomes. You use guilt and shame and condemnation to pressure people. So what are you going to do to your metron? Whatever God's given you, you got choices. And they really matter and everything is spiritual. And you don't want to fall into this category. I guarantee you, God will not prosper your reign. <laughs> and so it'll cost you the kingdom. Everyone is a leader. Everyone has a metron. There's a way to success. Servant leadership is not manipulation. People are God's property. Persuade, don't control. Lead right and trust God for outcomes. So don't warp your metrons. Add value to your metrons, and God will give you guys more influence in the community, globally. Um, we're trying to figure out how to do that, as an, even as an organization, and what we do is how do we manage our influence? How do we do this right? How do we honor God, advance the kingdom, and don't cost the kingdom? So that's my two cents for today. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Um, I have a lot more, of course, I could say or share, but my wife Robin and Jaden are here to say hi to you. So I'll let uh, us get wrapped up so you guys can all meet the two most important people in my family. So thanks for letting me share with you guys today. I hope this helps you at some level, helps you move forward in your influence. Uh, remember to check out the books in the back. They're just for a donation. If you got a dollar, that's fine, or whatever you want to give. Just want to help you guys get equipped.